Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Amen. This morning I want to speak to you a bit from Matthew 24. Just a short portion of scripture on overcoming temptation. Now, do you realize that temptation is the doorway... through which every bad thing comes into your life. Temptation is the doorway through which every bad thing comes into your life. Now, I'm not going to try and prove that, but I just want you to to think a bit. Think about how your life... let Let me put it this way. Imagine your life if you always resisted temptation. How would your life be different? I think it would be quite different in almost every area. I, I think your, your personal life would be better. You'd be less anxious, less worried, um, less selfish. Your, your relationships would be better because you'd resist that temptation to get in the last word <laughs> or to, to always want to be right <laughs> or to just get your own way in, in your relationships. Your work life would be better. Because you'd resist the temptation to watch YouTube and procrastinate and <laughs> all kinds of other stuff. Um, and, um, but, but, I mean, just imagine if you could resist every temptation, how your life would be different. It would be significantly different. Now imagine how our world, society at large, would be different if everyone always resisted temptation. I mean, uh, all the things we usually complain about, about our world, is the result of people not resisting temptation. <laughs> so I think resisting temptation can, can really have a big influence on our personal lives and, and, and on our world. Um, I, I think we underestimate the role that temptation plays. I think as we as modern people have started, our cultures at least, have started downplaying sin it has also started downplaying temptation. And, and, and we're in a place as modern people, especially people who live in the West, in the secular West uh, more so, where we're almost, we're almost likely to see temptation as just our desires, just the way we are, just what we want. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. So I'm going to read for you from Matthew 26. Um, I'm just going to read from verse 39 to 42. And this is just a, a section, part of a section where Jesus is in Gethsemane with his, with his disciples. And, and he's really troubled. He's deeply disturbed and sorrowful. Even unto death, he says. And then he, he, he walks off a little way and he asks his disciples, please you know, watch with me. Please pray with me. And then he goes and he prays. And, and we see the following. In verse 39 it says, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, remember Peter was the one who said, Lord, even if everyone else forsakes you, I will never forsake you. I'm ready to die, to suffer and to die for you, <laughs> but not to stay awake for you. <laughs> so, he said, so he said to Peter, 
So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Okay, so I just want to share just... um, just under three little headings um, about temptation. It's, it's not going to be very deep. It's just going to be very straightforward, I hope. I'm just going to share a bit about the, the danger of temptation, how temptation affects us, and how temptation is overcome. So the danger of temptation. Temptation is, this is my definition. You're welcome to write it down and improve on it if you want to. But temptation is anything that can push or pull us away from obedience to God, it is the opportunity and enticement to sin. See, they they are pushing temptations, pressure, and they are pulling temptations, enticements, luring us. Okay, But, But what they want to do is either push or pull us away from obedience to God, and away from communion with God, and into sin. Either either by sin by by what we do or sin by what we, not, what we don't do. Now, let me just mention this. The, the Greek word for, for temptation is pyrasmon or pyrasmos. And it can actually mean either temptation or test. So it's, it's, it's sort of a, a neutral word. It's, it's, not, it's not a negative word per se. When... When Satan is the one who's doing the pyrosmon to you, then it's negative, then it's temptation. But sometimes God will also allow it as a test. And then it's not negative, then it's not a bad thing. Um, and why, why does God... I just want to mention this, because I, I, when I bring this up, I'm sure some will be thinking, but why, why would God do that? Why would God want to test us? Why would he want us to be tempted? And, 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 so, and often... The positive and the negative are the, the flip side of the coin. So often, the devil is tempting us and God is testing us at the same time through exactly the same circumstances and events. Okay? Um, obviously, the devil's intention is to harm us, to kill, steal, and destroy. But God's intention is always good. Uh, a classic example of how it's, it's called, I mean, some people freak out when they hear this, that, that God can actually use the devil or God can actually use sin to accomplish his purposes. But it's, it's called the, um, the, the doctrine of complementarity where, let me put it this way, Joseph, his brothers, through multiple sins, sell him into slavery and he ends up in Egypt where he becomes second in command in Egypt and he stores up all the grain and stuff. And then they come, they don't recognize him and they get grain from him. And eventually they come and live in in Egypt. And when their father dies, his brothers become really afraid and they say, ooh, you know, maybe now Joseph, maybe Joseph was just being merciful to us because we did sin against him. We know we sinned against him. Maybe he was just being merciful to us as long as father lived. Now that dad's away, he's going to take vengeance on us because he's, after all, second in command in Egypt. He controls the army, everything. He's, he's got power now. He can actually take, take revenge. So they come and plead with him and say, please be merciful to us. Don't kill us. Don't take revenge on us. And he says, am I in the place of God? <clears throat> you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. The same it 
You intended the same things that God intended. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Now, it's the same with the devil. God and the devil might be working in exactly the same circumstances. God intending it for good, for your growth, for your benefit. The devil intending it for evil. Let me just read you uh, just a passage. This is from uh, an old book by a guy called John Owen. I think he wrote it in the 1600s. It's called On Temptation. It's just a a little quote from it. And just to give you some reasons why God does it this way. Okay? This is not going to answer all your questions, but I just, because this is not what I want to focus on, but I just want to sort of show you that there are good reasons for this. Um, God withheld. Abimelech from sin. That was when Abraham came to him and said, Sarah's my sister. And he took actually Sarah into his harem. He was the king um, of the country in which um, Abraham was, was staying. But God prevented him, Abimelech, from having sexual intercourse with Sarah and thereby prevented him from committing adultery. And God even says it to him. Listen here, Sarah is Abraham's wife and he's a prophet. You better... Let her go and restore her to her husband. And he was very angry with Abraham for lying to him. Um, and then we also have in Job 1 verse 10, where the devil, where, where God's bragging about Job and saying, have you seen my servant Job? There's no one righteous like him in all the earth. And then the devil says, yeah, but you built a hedge of protection around him and I cannot touch him or his household or any of his, his possessions. He's sort of complaining. And, and then God um, agrees to remove the hedge of protection temporarily. But he still says, you may only go so far. Okay? That's a good example of a parasmos, a test from God, which is also a temptation from the devil at the very same time. God allows it. Now, this is what John Owen says, and his his English is a bit heavy. This comes from the 1600s, but but try try and listen carefully. He says, we know not the power and strength that God puts forth on our behalf, nor what is, what is the sufficiency of his grace until comparing the temptation with our own weakness, it appears unto us. In other words, when we, when we, when we get tempted, when God temporarily removes the protection, we see, oh, it wasn't my strength that caused me to stand. <laughs> it was God's protection after all. Um, the efficacy of an antidote is found when poison has been taken. The preciousness of medicines is made known by diseases. We shall never know what strength there is in grace if we know not what strength there is in temptation. We must be tried that we may be made sensible of being preserved. I think that's quite powerful. That's one of the reasons why God allows testing and temptation in our lives. is so that we can realize how weak we are and how much he actually protects us during the normal you know, run of our lives. So that we can realize we have nothing really to boast in. And so that we can really appreciate his grace, which we experience. And, and we, you know, when you've experienced that the day of temptation, when you've experienced the dark night of the soul, when you've experienced, you know, things falling apart and everything seeming to go wrong and, and it feels like God's not there and it feels like he's not hearing you anymore and, and, and it feels like everything's going wrong at once, you know when you've been through that and God has taken you through it, you appreciate God's grace and God's goodness and God's protection much more. It takes you like your thankfulness to the next level. 
Um, so you get two kinds of sin that we are usually tempted to. Sins of commission, what we do um, wrong, and sins of omission, when we fail to do right. And temptation actually tempts us towards both. We tend to only think of the first one. We only think of sin as what we do wrong. But we, we forget about the fact that sin is also when we fail to do what is right, fail to obey. So failing to obey is as much sin as disobeying. And temptation tries to draw us into both. Now, I just want you to do a little exercise just to to make this a bit more personal. I want you to just close your eyes. You're not going to share this with anyone. Relax. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand and come and confess your sins over the mic. But I want you to just close your eyes and very honestly with yourself. This is just for yourself. This is just between you and God. Okay? I want you to think of one sin of commission and one sin of omission that you are regularly tempted into. I want you to sort of just keep those two in your mind. And when you are tempted during the sermon on temptation to sort of make turn this the, what God is saying into sort of a vague, generalized, philosophical you know, discussion, just think of those two sins that you are tempted to and make it real and personal to yourself. So when we are tempted, temptation, when we fall into it, when we, when we respond to it, when we give in to it, there's, we're giving in to, to evil on the outside, but we're also giving in to evil on the inside. In fact, when we give in to temptation, it is evil on the inside that is giving in to evil on the outside. You see, we often say, you know, especially about you know, people close to us, my, your, your spouse or something, she made me do it or he made me do it. He made me sin <laughs> or she made me sin. We like to do that, right? You know, the, the way that, that she spoke to me, made me respond in that way, made me respond in anger and irritation or whatever. Or, you know, the fact that he didn't do that made me respond in that way. But we must realize, and this is part of making it personal and taking responsibility of our own temptation, we must realize that the external evil that we experience, yes, people sin against us, the devil tempts us to evil, etc. But the external temptation is only the opportunity to sin. It's not the cause of sin. It's the internal evil that causes us to sin. So you can never say someone else made me do it. Someone else caused me to do it. No, someone else gave you the opportunity to do it. (laughs) Someone else gave me the opportunity to do it. It's the evil in my own heart, the sin that is inside of me that caused me to actually do it. Um, So how does temptation affect us? Temptation affects us by drawing us in. Notice in in, um, Matthew 26, verse 41, Jesus doesn't say, watch and pray so that you are not tempted. Okay? Can you just go back to the scripture um, of Matthew uh, 26 again? Um, He doesn't say, watch and pray so that you are not tempted. Then in verse 41. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. There's a difference between being tempted and entering into temptation. You can be tempted without entering into it.
okay? In fact, you will be tempted. It's inevitable that you will be tempted. Even Jesus was tempted, yet without sin, because he never entered into it. And we, you see, one of the mistakes we make is that, that we, we allow the devil to accuse us just for being tempted. You get tempted and then the devil says to you, oh, look at what's going on in your heart and mind. Now, that's just a temptation. Jesus says, you will be tempted, but watch and pray so that you do not enter into temptation. So you don't start responding positively to it. And usually you enter into temptation when the temptation enters into you. When your heart starts giving into it and you start entertaining that temptation. So you can be tempted without entering temptation. And you can enter temptation and still escape it. In um, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, uh, Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So what he's saying here is when you've already been overtaken by temptation, you've already entered into it, you've already started responding to it, even then, even when you've been unfaithful to God, God is still faithful to you and he will provide a way of escape so that you may endure it, so that you may come out of it. So good news for you, because some of you are saying like, oh, you know, temptation, um, this uh, message is a couple of years late for me, you know. I've already entered way into that temptation. I'm there like a bear. Okay, I think that scripture is really good news for us. Because if you've already been overtaken by temptation, God, even if you've already been unfaithful, God is still faithful. You see, because God is not faithful to you because you are faithful to God. See, that's the gospel, people. God is faithful to you because Jesus was faithful to God. And God treats you in Christ the way that Christ deserves to be treated. Because he treated Christ on the cross the way that you deserve to be treated. So don't think that just because you've been unfaithful, God's going to be unfaithful to you. He won't. He will give you the way of escape. And all you need to do now is just close your eyes and say, God, I've been overtaken by temptation. I've fallen into the sin. It's it's entangled me. Lord, Please, let me experience your faithfulness. Please give me the way of escape. Please help me escape. So temptation, what it does, there's that little phrase um, at the end of verse 41 where it says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And temptation takes advantage of the weakness of our flesh. Now let me just say here, the word flesh sucks in the Greek does not mean just your body. I mean, it can refer to your body, and it does refer to your, your body, but flesh is more, I mean, it can be used in different ways, but, but there, in that sense, it's being used in terms of sinful nature. Okay? Our flesh is our sinful nature. In other words, yes, it, it includes the body and, and the, you know, all the desires of the body, the cravings of the body, but it also includes the thoughts. It also includes the feelings. It also includes the desires. And Here's the thing. If you are aware at the moment that you're being tempted, if you can maybe say, think back to a time when you were tempted and you, and you could sort of just sort of analyze it and think how you 
what happened there, you'll feel that there, you, you'll realize that, that there wasn't just, you know, say physical cravings or a thought that came into your mind. But with that thought, there was also a feeling a feeling, an emotion, and even desire that came with it. In other words, temptation is a lot more complex than we think. And the devil is a lot more sneaky than we realize. He will not just put the thought in your mind, but with that thought, he'll put an emotion and a desire so that you think it's your thought, so that you think it's what you want. And when things come from the inside, it's much easier. Or when we think things come from the, things come from the inside, it's, it's much easier to give in to them. <clears throat> so he, he takes advantage of the weakness of our flesh. And our flesh is like a Trojan horse inside of us. You know the story of, of Troy, um, where um, I was some, of, some of the Athenians or some of the other Greeks, I can't remember who it was, um, they were attacking Troy, but Troy was a massive, very strong, fortified city. And wave after wave of attack just broke against the walls of Troy. And they were sort of ready to, to give up when one of the soldiers thought of a very scaly way to enter the walls of Troy. He, they pretended that, that it was an outbreak of a disease, left a lot of dead bodies on the beach, uh, and then built a big wooden horse, a massive wooden horse, which they left there supposedly as a gift you know, sort of a, you know, to say sorry to, to, to the Trojans. And the Trojans, in their pride, they thought, oh, you know, we've, we've been victorious and the gods are on our side. They, you know, not only did we, did we repel them in battle, but the gods have struck them with disease as well. And now they, you know, this is, this Trojan, this horse, this wooden horse is, is our trophy. You know, and we're going to take it into the city and, and we're going to celebrate and, and we're going to gloat about the fact that we were victorious again, you know. No one has ever scaled or or broke through the walls of Troy. And then they didn't know it was a hollow horse. And inside, guys were hiding at night. When everyone had gotten drunk and was falling asleep, these guys slipped out, opened the gate from the inside, and the enemy streamed in, and they sacked Troy. And our flesh, the sinful nature on the inside is like a Trojan horse. It opens up our defenses from the inside. And that's why the Bible makes such a big issue about crucifying the flesh. Jesus says, if you want to come after me, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Why must you take up your cross daily? Because you must daily crucify yourself, crucify the flesh. You know, we sometimes get so confused between the devil and the flesh. And we try and cast out the flesh and, you know, crucify the devil. It doesn't work. (laughs) You've got to crucify the flesh and cast out the devil. You know, you're going to know what you're dealing with. And, and usually dealing with both. You know, there's a little bit of both involved there. Um, you see, our flesh will always gravitate towards the path of least resistance. Our flesh will always move away from difficulty and towards comfort. So your flesh feels it's only doing you a favor. It's only trying to comfort you. Only trying to make you feel better. But feel better in ways, sinful ways, ways apart from God. And here's the thing. We must realize, if we become disciples of Jesus, then we have departed from the path of least resistance. That's what it means to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Jesus. The, 
The, the way of discipleship is the way of the cross. It's not a comfortable way. It's not an easy way. But there are so many Christians and churches that are so, especially encouraged by our consumer culture, so determined to be comfortable that we've created a consumer Christianity which actually panders to the flesh and the comfort that the flesh wants. And we, especially us in the West, we are in great danger, great danger to adopt a consumer Christianity that justifies and even celebrates our comforts instead of making us repent of them and take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. So, we, you know, the temptation makes use of the, takes advantage of the weakness of our flesh. And, and we enter into temptation when the evil on the inside responds to the evil on the outside. That's when we have not just been tempted, but when we've entered into temptation. Now, what does Jesus say? How do we, how is temptation overcome? How, how should we respond? How should we prevent entering into temptation? And he mentions two steps, two very simple steps for overcoming temptation. The first focuses mostly on what we do, and the second one mostly on what God does. He says, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Um, firstly, to watch means to be awake and alert, not asleep like the disciples. So to watch literally means to... Um, Stay awake, to be alert, to be focused, to be vigilant, to, to, to notice, to be aware of your circumstances, to notice what's going on. And <clears throat> Jesus said this in the context of the disciples falling asleep um, and, 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 and not being watchful, not being alert. And, and there are a few things. So, so in other words, what he's saying there is don't fall asleep because when you fall asleep, you are vulnerable to every attack. When you fall asleep, you cannot actually defend yourself. When you fall asleep, you cannot even fight back. In other words, the implication is that when you are tempted, God's not just going to do everything for you. There's something you have to do, but you've got to be awake to do it. You've got to see what's going on to do your part. Because God never just works for us. He always works through us. But we've got to be awake. We've got to be vigilant. We've got to be alert. Um, and one of the places I think where it says we must be alert, you know, this is sort of common knowledge in, in battle strategy. Uh, the old um, Chinese general uh, and strategist Sun Tzu, in his famous book, The Art of War, he said one of the things that an alert general does is he picks the battleground. Okay? So you must be alert to pick the battleground. That's why Jesus says... The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. In which domain do you want the battle to take place? The domain of the spirit or the domain of the flesh? Let me give you a little bit of advice. If you ever have to fight a shark, don't do it in the sea. If you ever have to fight a shark, do it on dry land. Because when you're in the sea, you're in his domain. But when you're on dry land, then he's in your domain. 
It's the same. If you're in the flesh, you're in the domain of the devil, you're in the domain of the sinful nature, he's going to run circles around you, he's going to flit like a butterfly, sting like a bee, and you're going to be punch drunk within no time. Don't fight him in the flesh. That's his domain. Choose your battleground. Be alert so that you can choose your battleground. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. But more than that, I mean, the difference between someone who's actually a Christian and someone who's not is just that, spirit. The irreducible minimum of the Christian life is the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Romans 8 verse 9 says, if someone does not have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. The, the Holy Spirit inside of you is what makes you a Christian. The, the one thing, and I use thing here because I, I can't think of a better word. Uh, you know, I don't use it disrespectfully. But the one thing without which you cannot be a Christian is the Holy Spirit. In other words, the one thing without which you will never really truly be able to resist temptation is the Holy Spirit. Think about it in this way. I, I studied metallurgy, um, chemical engineering, specifically metallurgy. So when you, when you have metals, you can make all kinds of alloys. You can melt the metals down, and you can sort of put them together in different proportions and make different alloys out of the metals. Now, iron is not an inert substance. Gold is inert. It doesn't rust. But iron rusts. So it comes into contact with moisture and oxygen. There's a chemical reaction that takes place, and the iron rusts. And that is a picture of our flesh. It is susceptible to the world, to the corruption of the world. It reacts with what's in the world, and it rusts, metaphorically speaking. But if you take iron, and you mix it with at least 10.5% chromium, and make sure that the there's less than 1% carbon in it, then you get stainless steel, which doesn't rust. Okay? Now, that is what born again is all about, is when God melts down the, the iron of our lives, as it were, and he, we still say the same people, the flesh is still there, the iron, metaphorically speaking, to follow on on my on my metaphor, but he mixes in the chrome of the Holy Spirit, metaphorically speaking. And he mixes us, he mixes the Holy Spirit into us in a way that starts making us resistant to rust and to the corruption of the world. But usually, <laughs> we sort of, little by little, step by step, section by section, room by room, area by area in our lives and in our hearts, surrender certain portions of our life. So you might have you know, surrender to a certain part of your life. There's no rust there, hardly any rust. But most other areas of your life, like it's rusting, like. <laughs> so God's got to melt down through repentance, got to melt down that area of your life. Allow the, whole, the chrome of the Holy Spirit to mix in and to start making you rust resistant in that area of your life. So unless you become a, a human spirit alloy, if I can sort of finish my my analogy, you will always be asleep. It's, it's through being born again that God wakes you up. And it's, it's through being born again that he starts mixing in the Holy Spirit. And it's through repentance that he 
makes us in the Holy Spirit, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the, the rust-resistant, corrosion-resistance of the Holy Spirit into every new area of our life. So every area you are tempted in is an opportunity to experience more of the Holy Spirit and the more of God's salvation in your life. So he says, watch. That's what we have to do. But then he also says, pray. We must pray because our ability to resist temptation is not proportionate to our strength, but to the help at our disposal. Let me just put it this way. When when God allows tests to come into our lives, he's not going to allow tests that are small enough so that we can resist them in our own strength and in our own flesh. He will intentionally allow tests that are too difficult for us in our own strength so that we have to appeal to the help that is available to us, so that we have to pray and say, God, I need your strength. I need you to help me. And in this very context of this passage in Matthew 26 that we're reading, Jesus experienced the most severe temptation that any human being has ever experienced. He knows what is coming. He knows the cup of the wrath of Almighty God, the wrath that every human being has to drink a part of. He has no part in that cup. There's no wrath in that cup meant for him. But he's not only going to drink a part of that cup. He's going to drink the whole cup down to the dregs. He's going to experience the full wrath of God on the cross. He has been, just think about this. Tim Keller says this, and I find it very profound. He says, the level of pain that you experience when someone rejects you is proportionate to how long you've been in relationship to that person and how intimate your relationship is with that person. So when an acquaintance rejects you, it hurts a bit, but not much. If a friend rejects you, it hurts a lot. If a spouse or a child rejects you, it hurts really, really deeply. Now think about this. Jesus has been in the most intimate relationship with the Father from eternity past. For ages and eternity, gazillions of years, in a relationship that is more intimate than we can even imagine. And he knows that he's going to have to hang there on the cross and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and here he's praying, he's saying, my father, my father, if it's possible for this cup to pass me by, this cup of your wrath and your rejection, my father, if it's possible... Please let it pass me by. Yet not my will, but your will be done. But notice, when he's hanging on the cross, he doesn't say, my father. It's the one place in the New Testament where he hangs there and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he knows. He's there on his face in Gethsemane and he knows this is what's coming. And yet, he says, not my will, but your will be done. And when we see Jesus resisting the greatest temptation, it makes it easier for us to, to resist the little temptations, which, when we compare it to his, is nothing. Can we not watch with him for an hour? Can we not 
resist temptation, little temptations for him, when he resisted that biggest of all temptations for us. C.S. Lewis says, No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in to it. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means, the only complete realist. Let me me tell you, this is good news. Not only did Jesus resist the greatest, the most terrible temptation for you, but he knows how strong your temptation is because he went through stronger temptations. He can help you through your temptation. That's why you must pray and say, Jesus, the only one who truly understands temptation fully, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me resist. Help me stand for you who stood for me. I'm going to end with that. Father, we thank you, Lord. Jesus, you are so amazing. Your gospel is so amazing. Lord, we don't just want to know the gospel. We want to live the gospel. We want to apply the gospel to every area of our lives. Help us to apply the gospel to this area of temptation. Lord, we, when we are tempted, we usually want to hide it. As, Lord, we, we want to hide it from you as though we can hide it from you, as though we can hide anything from you. Thank you that you are with us even in our temptations. And thank you that you are the only one who really understands our temptations. And thank you that you are the only one who can help us to not enter into temptation, but to resist temptation. To find the way of escape. And to remain standing. Thank you, Lord, that you went through your temptation alone. So that we wouldn't have to. Help us to watch and pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I just want you to just take a moment wherever you are. And um, don't, don't just run off, or switch off your device. Really try and respond. Because I, I really trust that the, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you that is saying something to you, that is tugging at your heart. And if, you, if you're not yet a Christian, if you're not yet experienced that um, chromium of the Holy Spirit, metaphorically speaking, being mixed into your 
rusting iron to make you stainless steel. If, you, if you've never been born again, now's your opportunity to do it. Now's your opportunity to respond. And, so, and just, you don't need anyone's permission. You don't need anyone's help. You, just, you can just pray. You can just come to God and say, God, now I understand. I understand the gospel, the, the good news that Jesus was treated the way I deserve to be treated so that I could be treated the way that Jesus deserves to be treated. I, I, I now see how much you love me, that, that, I, that I'm so sinful and guilty that Christ had to die for me and yet so love and accepted that Christ was glad to die for me. And I want to respond to that. Just like Christ gave his life for me, I want to give my life to him. I want to give my life to him. If that's you, I just want you to pray. You can just pray after me and say, Father God, I come to you in Jesus' name and I admit that I'm a sinner, that I often fall into temptation, that I often give in to temptation, that I often sin, that I sin by doing the wrong things, that I also sin by not doing the right things. I just confess, I admit that to you and I pray, Lord, that you'll have mercy on me. I believe, Lord, that Jesus drank the cup of your wrath and punishment on my behalf on the cross so that I can be forgiven. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me in Jesus' name. Take my life. Make me what you want me to be in Jesus' name. And then for everyone, those two sins that you thought of, I want you to just in light of what we saw in Scripture now, and in light especially of the gospel, I want you to bring those two sins, that's one sin of commission and one sin of omission that you thought about in the beginning of the sermon. Just bring them to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. Help me to watch and pray. Deliver me from these sins. Set me free so I can glorify your name. Just in your own words. I'm just going to give you a minute or two to do that, and then I'll close for us in prayer. I just feel like I said that there are areas of your life that you just need to invite the Holy Spirit into. In some ways, to some extent, you're shutting Him out from certain areas in your life. And He just wants you to invite Him into those areas as well. And when you invite Him in, allow Him in, He will start changing it. He's the one tugging at your heart. He wants in. He's saying, let me in there. Yes, Lord, we just come to you and we surrender ourselves to you, Lord, and our thoughts, our feelings, our hearts, our desires, our relationships, our actions, Lord, especially what we do when there's no one else around. Lord, our our work lives, our friendships, everything, Lord, our thought life, we just surrender it to you and we say, Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Use our watching and our praying to deliver us from evil. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. 
May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.